Radio Influence. The future is now. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin, and this is... My name is Seth, Jim's producer and sidekick here on America's most positive podcast, whatever the rest of the world is doing. This is about helping you achieve your goals and be a complete person as we continue to map out your blueprint week to week and have the best year of your life and have the best year for your team. We're going to be talking about teams in the zone today. Uh, Two fantastic interviews. Fantastic, fantastic interviews coming up. However, we got to start with Jim. Just what's on your mind, man? I mean, you coach some of the top leaders and performers in the world. So what's on your mind this week? Well, teams in the zone, that, that's really on my mind. Uh, I know baseball season's coming up. I know a lot of companies uh, are in the news. Uh, are companies in the zone? Are, is a baseball team your favorite team? Will they be in the zone this year? And how about who was in the zone in terms of the NCAA basketball, men and women, teams in the zone? You know, a team can be two people. It could be four people, uh, little special ops teams, or you may have a team of 25,000, like some of the international major companies. But you need everybody pulling in the same direction with a common vision and everyone needs to be self-disciplined and, and stay in their own lane. But every now and then, you need to get out of your lane. And just like a team in basketball, if there's a loose ball, everybody goes for the loose ball and fixes it for the benefit of the whole. I've got a scenario. I've been thinking about this, Seth. It, it's you and I. I. I want you to role play with me. You and I are laborers. Da, 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 been da. there? Yeah. Done that? You yeah. and I both grew up in rural areas, so those I, are often first-time jobs. I've been a laborer, definitely, in eastern Kentucky. But we're laborers, and we have two other laborers that we really don't know. And we're all getting paid minimum wage. Our assignment is to get a wagon, and we're not sure what's in the back of the wagon. It's covered with a tarp. And it's being pulled by Granny's mule. Uh, and I did have Granny's mule growing up. Uh, it was an ass. It was not a nice mule. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it would bite. It lived up to the name. It lived up to the name. But in any event, you and I are laborers. We're getting minimum wage. Our assignment is to get this wagon over this hill to the next town. We have two days to do it. And if we have to stay up all night, so be it. And so we're fine. We've got a job. We're going to make some coin. And here we go. And Granny's mule's pulling the wagon, and we're standing by, beside it. And all of a sudden, a torrential 
rainfall and the mud starts flowing. The road is now completely muddy. We get the wagon stuck in the mud and you and I got mud from head to toe. Uh, the other two workers who we don't know well as all as well, they're all muddy. And we turn to each other and go, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm only getting minimum wage to do this. This is, you know, what's going on? You're unhappy. I'm unhappy. Everybody's unhappy. And maybe one of us quits. Maybe, maybe we all quit. This is crazy. It's a torrential downpour full of mud with an angry, stubborn mule pulling something we don't know anything about. But let's flip the script on this scenario. Let's suppose that we reverse it. And now we get minimum wage, but he uncovers the tarp and says, in the back of this wagon is fresh vegetables. And I've got two days to get these to market. If I miss two days and don't get them to market, the vegetables will be spoiled, no money, and we're in trouble. But I'm not just going to pay you minimum wage. When you get to the town and deliver this to market, Seth, Jim, Bob, Steve, I'm going to buy you the best steak dinner you've ever had in your life. And there's a spa there. Hey, what's a spa? Are you kidding me? A spa? Yeah. You can take a shower, take a bath, uh, get into a jacuzzi, and you're going to have an amazing, amazing experience. So now we start on our journey. We cover the produce back up with the tarp, and we know why we need to go. We know where we need to go, and we know that we get a little bonus for making these vegetables for everybody in the area so they can be healthy. We've bought into the holistic point of the wagon trip, and it starts to pour rain, and it is torrential. And Seth, you and I are looking at each other. we got mud from head to toe. We're making minimum wage, and you're going to turn to me and say, that steak, man, I can taste it. Oh, yeah. Seth, can you taste it? I can go to the spot in my head that has had the best steak dinner I've ever had. And, and that's why I'm we're there. Go- oh, yeah. Mentally, and, I oh, am yeah. there. I got candles by my tub. I'm soaking in a jacuzzi. Never been in a jacuzzi. I'm fired up. Same scenario, a small bonus because we're doing something that is needed for the area. And, and that's how you get a team in the zone, Seth. You got to know the big picture. You need to know why. And the mission statement needs to go from the top and it goes all the way down. So if you work in a company or if you're part of a team, uh, maybe, maybe you coach a little league team coming up this spring. Uh, maybe you've coached a basketball team like one of our guests that's going to be on in a few minutes. The team is only as good as what the team members think individually when the head coach, the director, the vice president, whoever it is that's the boss, is not there. Now, I've been involved in some amazing teams. I mentioned this before, the 1997 Cleveland Indians. I coached nine guys, Seth, on that team individually. I was working labor, not for management. But I saw something pretty amazing about this team. Had some great characters on the team. You had David Justice. You, you had Oral Hershiser, Matt Williams, Black Jack McDowell, 
uh, Jim Tomey, Hall of Famer. You had some pretty amazing guys, but they had one mission. One mission. Get to the World Series. That was it. And, you know, my experience with that team, and I was with them from spring training to the seventh game of the World Series in 1997, I never heard gossip. I never had ru- heard rumors. Seth, I never heard them talk negative even about another team. I never heard a team mentioned, an opposing team. I, it was never even mentioned, the Yankees or the White Sox or any of their competitors. This was 25 individuals who were all under the umbrella of one mission, and they were each excited about their role and what they needed to do to make the holistic team successful. That's a team in the zone. And, and the zone, for especially for someone listening new, the zone is real. It's a purposeful, calm feeling. But there's a real thing that's going on to get you in that state where you feel nothing can go wrong. I mean, you, you not only have discipline because you have a blueprint, you have a mission, you have a well-defined goal, you, you have focus. There's no place you'd rather be than where you are executing these tasks to reach that well-defined vision. You have supreme belief, but more than that, you have a sense of expectancy and a sense of knowing what your role is and also knowing that you will succeed. But there's a calmness about you, even in the most competitive situations. And also, you love what you do. You love the challenge, just like you and I pushing that wagon. No one wants to be in the torrential downpour with mud, but we loved it. Because all we thought about was that steak dinner. We saw point B, the end result. Zone is in every person right now. It's in you. How do you get it out? How do you get that feeling that that many athletes have told me, I, I can put it on like an overcoat? How do you do that? Well, five markers, self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, enjoyment. All five of those trigger um, real chemicals in in the bloodstream. And once they're all balanced at a high state, the zone arrives. But everybody that's part of a team knows that it just takes one or two people, two naysayers, two people acting like a victim or judging because they didn't get their fair share or something went wrong. They're a victim of the circumstance victim of the condition, bitching, moaning about whatever. It only takes a few people like that to ruin a team being in the zone. And that's what this show's about, and that's been on my mind, Seth. So uh, can a team be in the zone? Absolutely. And we've seen it over and over. we got two guests today who are going to reflect how teams can get into the zone. And of course, we always check out the world-class performers who have just done an amazing job this week. And sometimes, you know, the NCAA tournament's all about upsets. But it deserves a special shout-out when it's not about upsets. So if we could just give a quick shout-out to the NCAA Women's Tournament, all four number one seeds made the Final Four, UConn, Notre Dame, Louisville, Mississippi State. That takes something special because you have to peak and stay there to pull something like that off. And so that's an exceptional story in some way. Uh, That's pretty amazing. And I watched some of those games, and I'll tell you, the ladies know how to play basketball. They distribute the ball. It's total teamwork. 
So watching this Final Four for the women, you're going to see back cuts, picked, pick and roll. Uh, You're going to see different defenses, but you're going to see five women that are like a fist. You know, they're five fingers on a fist, but you're going to see them ball together and a fist can knock you down. And uh, (laughs) it's going to be interesting and fun to watch teams in the zone. We got four of them coming up. That's exciting. Shifting over to the men's tournament. Final four here. We got to give a shout out to a, a guy I know named Jim Fannin who called this thing. You said no ACC team in the final four. Sorry, <laughs> ACC. It's not that I don't love you. I just didn't feel the quan. I'm sorry. That was early. And you called Villanova and Michigan. So we're looking at Villanova, Kansas, and Loyola, Michigan uh, on the final four. Uh, Loyola, what a story. Uh, Sister Jane has a bobblehead doll, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> I might have to get one of those. Yeah, yeah. I got to get a bobblehead doll, and people are buying it not just in the United States. They're buying it overseas. They're buying it in Canada. Uh, that is something they have not won a national title. In fact, it's the only Illinois team to win a national title back in 1963 with Jerry Harkness, who's also going to be at that game. He was on the uh, final uh, four and the championship team. It's going to be a great matchup. It really is. And and so I, I'm excited about that. Who else is in the zone? I I need to give a shout out yeah. to Iceland. This is amazing. Iceland. Iceland. Can you have you been to Iceland, Seth? I have not, but I, I have not been to Iceland. One of my clients has been to Iceland. Three hundred and thirty thousand people. Very, very small. That's not a lot of people. Uh, it's about the size, I think, of Omaha. Uh, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong there. But, you know, it's a small, small country. They made it to the World Cup, which is unbelievable, which is going to be held in Russia. I don't think their government's going. But the Icelandic uh, football team, the soccer team, they're going to the World Cup. So when you look at that, and, and of course, the United States, we're not going. We didn't make it. A country this big with so many people, hundreds of millions of people, we don't go. Iceland with 330,000 people, they're going to the World Cup. They defeated England, which shocked the soccer world. This is a team in the zone. This is a team that not only got in the zone, it got an entire country in the zone. And when they uh, announced that they were going, that, you know, they had the big celebration. It, it looked like 330,000 people were at that celebration. It, it was amazing. So it's kind of like Chicago uh, really wrapping their minds, hearts, uh, brains, you know, ar- around Loyola. Uh, it's the little engine that could, uh, and they play great, great team in the zone basketball. So this is... Uh- you know, this is the David and Goliath. This is the you know the Nat versus the Empire. So what goes on in a team like that to to get them to? There's a lot of expectancy. I think when the world doesn't have any expectancy that somebody can pull something like this off, those individuals in the locker room have to believe against all odds. Well, I think the the thing that happens is that the coach uh, helps his team immunize themselves individually and collectively against all the naysayers against all the thoughts that could play on your mind in a negative way. You know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Uh, This is a daunting task. This has never been done. 
really the the teams that make it. I'm and I'm talking about the Davids that go up against the Goliaths. They do have a chip on their shoulder, but they need to sequester themselves psychologically and many times even physically uh, to band together. It's us against the world. And it's all going to come down to this. The teams in business and sales, management, whether it's a product or service or any athletic team, the bottom line is always whoever executes the basics. When the money's on the table, picks up the money. It's also whoever has the most constants in a game of variables. Basketball is a game of variables. What are the constants? Well, it's not just, uh, you know, 220 I'm going to put on my left sock and my right sock. Yes, routines are a big deal, but it's the mental constants that really set teams apart from other teams. And you're only as good as what your team thinks when you, the boss, the leader, the VP, the big cheese, the CEO, it's when you're not there. Can you imagine? And after our interviews, we're going to have a segment on visualization. So uh, don't leave after these interviews because all of us, we're going to visualize, even if you're driving in your car, we're going to go through some visualization on how we can get a team, your team, in the zone. Now, that could be your family. That's a team under your family name, your family brand. But it's also small teams at work or a large team at work. So I'm excited about this show. That's been on my mind. How do you get a team in the zone? And because it is opening week for baseball, can we throw one more in the zone out there? Right now, Sports Illustrated is calling it Yankees over Astros and Cubs over Diamondbacks. Of course, it's a long season. It's a lot of games. However, teams do put themselves in great positions uh, by getting synchronized, synced up, all on the same page to be in the zone, just like we're, we're talking about right here. Jim, I, I do want to mention the fact that at one point you were coaching so many baseball players was that you had 10 TVs recording baseball games every day? Uh, it was pretty insane, and uh, I, I did. I Fortunately, I, I had a staff uh, that would uh, boil the game down to four at-bats of one of my players, uh, and many of the situations, that still happens to me. I'll have a pitcher that I'm coaching against a hitter that I'm coaching, and so what do I do there? I, I am visualizing my pitcher throwing a four-hit shutout and my hitter getting four uh, singles. <laughs> that really doesn't do anything. And then it's next. Uh, those are great situations to be in. 25 men on a baseball team all pulling in the same direction. And the key to winning over a long time period of time and, and Major League Baseball, it's tough to win a world championship because it is the most arduous schedule on the planet. 200 games if you count spring training and possibly the postseason. That's a lot of games and you can mentally get and physically get fried. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have to have people recovering from injury, but it's 25 people trying to hit a high standard, a minimum requirement for a solid satisfactory performance just according to the individual. So you can look at your own life right now. Yeah, I would love for you to be in the zone all the time at the highest level. That's improbable at the highest level because you need some rest periods to replenish 
the energy that the zone takes from you. So if you're fully locked in the zone, the longest I've seen someone's 33 days. Many athletes, many companies, uh, CEOs have been in the zone 20 days, three weeks. That's exciting. But you need to hit that high standard, that minimum requirement for a solid performance every single day. And I found that that's really what greatness is. It's not what we see on uh, ESPN or any of these shows showing us clips of, oh, that was amazing. Look at that dunk or whatever it is. Greatness is hitting a high standard over a long period of time. And the individuals that do that within a team, you're going to win a lot more than you lose. And if I could just throw one more question your way before we, we get into some interviews here. When you're going that long, when the task covers a long period of time, we're going to get more into S, C, O, R, and E, your score level at the end of the show if you're brand new. But I mean, baseball starting this week, it's just so different than anything else um, that the players actually lose weight during the season. They start out, they end the season in not as good a shape as the beginning of the season. And of course, that's also the mental toll of all the airplanes, all the hotels, all the nights away from family, friends, and loved ones uh, to get to that last place. And we do see people who get down to the playoffs and they got nothing left. They're just, you know, it's that, that team that was ranked number one in the preseason and they get there and they don't have anything. And so what do the teams that have something left do to get there? Well, I, I think they hit a mental standard. Uh, that's number one. I think when they collectively, collectively get into a zone state, they leverage that and make runs. And then when things are going poorly, uh, they don't become victims or judges. Uh, the media is going to be all over you, especially if you're in the big markets like New York or Chicago or L.A. Uh, the media can take you out of the zone just <laughs> more than get you in the zone. And I, I think you just need to sequester yourself, but you also need to take mental breaks. You really need to turn your brain off. Uh, my favorite quote, I wish this was mine. It's not. I'm gotta, I have to give a shout out to. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, if I had four hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend two hours sharpening my axe. Man, Abe, that that was pretty profound (laughs) a long time ago. How do you sharpen your axe? Take a bath. Turn your brain off. Reboot. You could do that now. With so much information coming at us, Seth, and with social media and uh, TV, watching something, a war, for example, in real time. We talked about this before. You need to learn how to reboot. Just shut your eyes, unhinge your jaw, see a blank screen. Just like if you have too many programs open on your computer, it, it can freeze, slow up. What do you do? Control, alt, delete. If you're on a Mac, reboot it. You know, just reboot it. And I would reboot three, four, five, six times a day. And another thing, when you're aware of being in the zone, you're not in it any longer. What do you do? I'd reboot, replenish, take a break. How many people right today are working from dawn to dusk and beyond into going to sleep at night? Your brain is like seven hamsters running on seven treadmills simultaneously. And those treadmills represent a different part of your life. Subconscious mind never shuts down. It's open like Denny's 24-7, always cooking. But you got to turn off your conscious mind. 
you do and replenish it. And I think that's one of the secrets of having mental endurance so that you can have a great quarter. And that's another thing, Seth. We've got a new quarter of the year coming up. Everybody needs to visualize right now. It's the end of the second quarter, April, May, June. It's now June 30th, everyone, 2018. What have you accomplished? What have you done? It's June 30th. We're over 90 days in advance. B to A. What have you accomplished on a macro level? And now come back to the end of March as you approach the first day of April. That pathway that you saw B and reverse engineer it all the way back to A, that illuminates a pathway like a runway at Chicago O'Hare Airport at night. And now you walk on it as if it's so. Never have a quarter that you haven't already had. And what happens if everybody on your team does this individually and it all flows into a second quarter goal? Well, they need to know what the goal is for the team for the quarter. But also, right now, are you ready to have the greatest April you've ever had? Ever. Go to the end of April. See it as if it's so. Reverse engineer, April 29th, 28th, 20th, 15th, 10th, all the way back to the 1st of April. That illuminates a pathway, B to A, that you can walk on as if it's so. And I I know this works for individuals. But when you have a team doing this simultaneously, it is magic. And there's nothing a team can't do. Really, everything is possible. That's how Iceland, a small country of 330,000, they visualize going to the World Cup. They're visualizing winning the World Cup, and it's ignited an entire country. So let's ignite our team. Get ready for the quarter. Get ready for next month to be the best genuine, authentic self that you can be. That's going to make you a great team member for sure. And just before we jump into interviews here, you say that the, the secret sauce, the three essential ingredients for teams, responsibility, accountability, and authority. Why are those so important? Well, this is going to empower a team member. And when you hire someone uh, on your team or the first time you in, are in front of your sports team, maybe it's a little league team, we need to identify the responsibility of that person, and um, I'd put it in writing. Now, you might not want to do that for your Little League team, but you'll definitely do that on a corporate team. What is the responsibility? Secondly, what is their authority? What are they authority to do? Can they write a check for 50 grand? Uh, No. Okay. You've identified what they have the authority to do. Can they fire someone? No, they can't fire someone. Okay. What do they have the authority to do? And I, I think the third, and, and this, these three elements, the third is accountability set, but these three form uh, the legs of a, uh, of a stool, if you will, that empower somebody to stand up on that stool and be better, taller than they really are. But they need those three parts to empower themselves. Accountability, most leaders 
do not, and you would think this would, uh, that this statement would not be true, but most leaders that I initially meet do not hold their team accountable for tasks, routines, goals. Pretty amazing. And I, I see this in Fortune 500 companies. The highest levels of business. Yeah, Fortune yeah. 50 companies. I've seen this. Everyone on your team needs responsibility. They need to be held accountable swiftly, uh, not three months later when things have really gone south. And they need to have authority of what to do. And maybe you need to put what they cannot do. You do that, you're going to empower your team when 25 people, 10 people, four people, however many people are on your team, have those three. They're now empowered. And don't forget this. Your team is only as good as what the individuals think when you're not there. Have you empowered them to be their genuine, authentic, best self? And have you provided tools that help them individually get into the zone? But if they don't know the big picture, they don't know the mission, you know, there's a lot of chaos management uh, everywhere, globally. And, and this is not limited to governments or countries. It's, it, it's everywhere, chaos management. And that, that's an ego play where, you know, the leader wants to hold everything close to his or her vest and not share the mission with the team. And uh, just do your job. Just do your job. I've heard that so many times. Well, that's like you and I on minimum wage moving a wagon that we don't know what's in the wagon. We don't know why it has to be there in two days. Uh, that's not going to fire us up to overcome the mud and the torrential uh, negative downpour that you might face literally or, or on a, an intangible way. Get your team in the zone because it's the only place to be, and it is glorious when a team gets into the zone. And everybody can feel it. Competition can feel it. It's so much fun. <laughs> I, I was just thinking that because we're going to be talking Loyola's you know, unusual path to the, the final four here in just a moment. And I was just thinking about here in the Chicago area, uh, you know, if, if you're not here, the air is just electric. Everybody is having such a great time with this, uh, you know, this basketball comeback, you know, possibly the, the birth of a, a brand new program that's really going to be a player. And because that team is in the zone, a lot of people are benefiting. You and I and a lot of other people are benefiting because we're getting some relaxation enjoyment. Restaurants are benefiting because they're booked up for people to watch it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it just keeps rippling because a small group of people are all going the same place. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a, good, it's, uh, it's a great time to be in Chicago right now, definitely. Our, uh, our first guest up here, Dr. Planick. So you actually met this gentleman when you coached all the coaches at Loyola. Well, uh, Dr. John Planick, uh, uh, doctor of education, athletic director, uh, University of Ill uh, Loyola. And uh, yes, he brought me in. I, I coached all the coaches uh, in the, uh, how to get in the zone, how to get their team in the zone, really about what this show is all about today. Uh, and then he leaves Loyola on a positive note and uh, goes to Lewis University, not far from where we're recording. And what an amazing job Dr. Planick has done at Lewis. And he knows the zone. And I, I'm looking forward to talking to him because he's not only trying to get one team in the zone, he's trying to get multiple teams in the zone. 
in all their seasons with their studies. Obviously, that's a major part of an athletic director to make sure that the student athletes are great students and they're all hitting their uh, uh, norms and exceeding those. So I'm really excited about having uh, Dr. John on the air. Uh, He's an awesome human being, uh, and he is a great AD. And Seth, he's won uh, an award recently. That's pretty amazing. Division Two Athletic Director of the Year. Hello, (laughs) AD of the Year, Dr. J. I like it. A lot of competition in that field, by the way. Division Two Athletics. uh, You know, a lot of people would have loved to taken home that hardware, and uh, he he got that special honor. So that's very cool. Let's go ahead and grab Dr. John Ponick. Dr. John Planick, Jim Fannin, how are you? Great. How are you? Uh, well, I'm in the zone. Uh, you're with uh, Seth and I <laughs> on the Jim Fannin Show, and thank you for coming on. I, I have to ask you, the athletic director for Lewis University, has anyone called you the Dr. J of Division Two? <laughs> because that, congratulations, <laughs> that's a pretty amazing honor. And uh, we'd love to just congratulate you right now on a job well done. Uh, so, John. Thanks t- a lot. Tell me, tell me about Lewis University. How many teams are you overseeing? Yeah, right now I see over 20, 28 intercollegiate athletic teams uh, and about 400 student athletes and about uh, 14 head coaches and about uh, 50 uh, personnel members. You know, John, you, you've brought me out to Lewis University. Thank you very much. I, I, I had the pleasure to meet uh, your coaches. Uh, this show today is about teams in the zone. Uh, you're definitely an expert of providing coaches with the, uh, the tools they need to get their team in the zone. How do you go about building a winning culture in these individual teams, but a culture of winning just for the entire athletic department? How did you start when you went to, how, how did you do that? Yeah, I think that what you have to have people who have the same similar focuses and similar drives that you do. And if they have that prior to you being in your position as athletic director, that's great. But if they don't, you know, that's when the task begins of trying to put all everybody on the same page. I liked your last uh, podcast when you talk about constants in, in a sea of variables being constant. And so if you have similar goals and everybody buys into the same goals, uh, I think you can be a very effective unit. And the good thing about the coaches that I've involved in, if you were to sit through a postseason evaluation, we go over what the goals are, what are upcoming season goals, what are their goals individually and personally. In my intercollegiate athletic departments, uh, we had 14 head coaches, or I have 14 head coaches, that if you would sit through the evaluation period with me, they still they say the same thing. Their goals to be excellent, uh, you know, they, they all have the same goals. I want to compete for NCAA championships. I want to be competitive regionally and nationally. I want to have good students that graduate on time, and I want to make uh, an impact in the community. And then, then you'd have the next coach come in. And I don't tell them to say these things, but they are like-minded. And so when you, I think you have that, that constant, and there's going to be variables, like you've said before, injuries are variable, uh, weather's a variable, a bounce of a ball hits the rim, goes out, and you lose variable. But if you can be constant in your message to your student-athletes on a continuous basis, you're going to prevail. 
I think you mentioned something really crucial in, in that statement. Uh, the ball may bounce the wrong way. You've done everything to prepare. Uh, how do you recover and how do you help a team recover from a devastating loss? You know, it's against your arch rival in the, in the conference. Uh, success is getting up one more time from defeat. Do you have those conversations with the coach when the team could be down? You know, every team has a, a turning point when things aren't going well. How involved yeah, are you I during think, those times? Yeah, I think that that's an important time. You know, I've been involved. You know, we had a, I've been fortunate enough here at Lewis. We've had three of our teams ranked number one in the country in my tenure. So we had our women's basketball ranked number one in the country for Division Two women's volleyball this past year, uh, this past fall. We're the number one ranked team in the country in women's volleyball, and we've been number one ranked team in the country in men's volleyball. So we have a number of programs that have been ranked number one. Now, the funny thing was, as it relates to our women's basketball team, they had won so many games in a row that literally no, the coach said nobody was coming into her office because they didn't want to spoil her run and her success and saying something, somebody would say something or jinx her or something like that, but they were undefeated and they were rolling. And then so the day that they lost, uh, I think they were like 23 and one or something like that. She says, everybody came to visit her. Oh my goodness. So, uh, it's like, what's wrong with the program? Oh my goodness. One yeah, loss. So it's something's wrong. Yeah. So I think people were afraid to walk in the door because they could ruin the mojo. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I think that's an important time when teams aren't aren't doing well. We've been I've been fortunate to be involved with a number of teams and a number of organizations that have been successful. But I think when the team isn't successful, that's when a coach needs to have an athletic director, and not from a critical standpoint of saying, "Hey, what's going on here?" And you know, you you talk about your job being in jeopardy, anything like that. I'm not talking about things like that. I'm talking about, hey, what can you do as a coach? And coaches will come to me. I think I have a good enough relationship with coaches. Is like, hey. What do you think we should do? Or I'm, I'm trying to do this. Do you think that that's good? I'm trying to help this this guy do that. Uh, and I think that if you can stay constant with a, a game plan and stay true to, uh, as you put forward in your book, your blueprint, if you can stay true to those things, you, you will you will prevail. Now, I always say that the difference between winning and losing, I had this conversation with my wife yesterday, as it relates to intercollegiate basketball, if you look at a number of games, the difference between winning and losing is a made three-pointer and a missed three-pointer. You can talk about rebounds and free throws and blockouts and a tip ball and a ball out of bounds. But usually an intercollegiate basketball at each level and at the highest level, if you made one more three and I missed one more three, you'll probably beat me at, at in, in the last minute. And if you look at some of these games that have been really close, if you look at the entire the entirety of the game, it's not that dif- it's not that difficult or it's not that different. And I think in conversations that you and I've had that at most times in in, in NCAA competition, you have division 1, division 2, division 3. So by division, you're kind of separated by athletic ability and talent. Now what and, and money and money and money, and money, and money. But when it comes to that, usually it's like the person who has that mental edge or the mental superiority or has already won the game, as you say, before, before it starts, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to prevail. You, so you I, know, I think that keeping... You know, John, I, you and I have had this conversation quite a bit, but yep. what happens when one of your coaches has a player that's having challenges, can't find the zone, but that player is crucial, you know, for the entire team. 
you ever have the one-on-one about what tools could be used to motivate, to inspire, or to get this player? Because sometimes one or two players can ruin the entire team, especially if they're the star. Yeah, I think that we we had we had some senior exit interviews for some of our sports that have concluded, and uh, they were talking about it was our swim team, and you know there's individual performance in swim team, so they said that this year's culture on the team was much different than the past year's culture, and I said why was that, and they said it was leadership not in the coaching ranks, but leadership with within the student athletes, the student athletes on the team forged that leadership and created that culture. Now, you always hope that a culture is created in a positive fashion, but at those times that there aren't, you know, what can you do as a team member? What can you do as a coach? I think that you're, you're absolutely right. Some key players can have a, a, a real a large effect on, on determining how well a team does and getting to those key players and working those team players. And a lot of this, again, I, I get back to this, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't think it's the physical traits that the individuals have. I really don't because I I can see a guy that hits 350 as a freshman and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be a a player for us for the next, we're going to be a great hitter for the next three years. And then sophomore year they hit well and junior year they they come into a funk and they're not hitting it. You know, sophomore or, or, you know, they call it the sophomore jinx or the the sophomore slump in in, in institutions. They get a little bit uh, full of themselves. Their work ethic isn't what it used to be. Or, or maybe fell, really, or maybe fell in love. <laughs> that that can no, be that, a that, that that's that's absolutely true. So if can you get back to some uh, uh, an elevated concentration level? You know, we had a, a rough series over the weekend with our with our baseball team, and I was just like, geez, we needed to turn the switch at a few of these. A couple of guys weren't really focused, but I was really enheartened in, in, in when I come when I came into work on Monday, and I saw a couple of these guys that struggled over the weekend. It was nine o'clock on a Monday morning at a college campus, and these guys were in the batting cage. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know, you know, you know. <laughs> that's the work ethic. And I and I've spoken to your baseball team. You've got some really yeah. awesome yeah. characters and yeah. characteristics yeah. of positive people. So, John, yeah. when when a, when you invite somebody onto your team, uh, I know you look at the whole person. They're more than an athlete. They're a student athlete, but they're even more than that. They're sons and their brothers, their sisters, their daughters. Um, how important in the recruiting process is the whole person, not just their athletic prowess? Yeah, I think that our our coaches and and coaches that I've been involved in, you have to really, I mean, it helps to get those students that are, have athletic ability, obviously, also have academic ability. And and I've seen this at a number of places uh, there. If you have higher academic ability, they're a little bit easier to coach. And and then you're not spending a lot of your time in re-instructing or instructing originally. They get and grasp concepts. So sometimes you're like, well, you know, the smart kids aren't going to be able to be athletically as good or something like that. And there's all these misnomers. But but our, I, I found that, hey, if you recruit a kid that obviously has the athletic ability to compete, at what level are you competing at? That's first and foremost. But have that academic uh, integrity and academic qualities that say 
I can adapt, adapt and adopt to what a coach is trying to tell me. And then also like the last, the last part of that, which is crucial is what kind of, what kind of individual is he, does he, how does he treat his mom? How does he treat his dad? I, I, I know a good coach of mine that walked into a high level recruit, a good friend of mine was a head coach, had a high level recruit. Uh, you saw how he was talking to his mom and dad at the table when we were talking about scholarship coach left and said, I'll never offer that. That kid is never coming to my school just by the way the young man was interacting with his parents. Disrespecting and, mom and, and dad. That, that's uh, that, that <laughs> reveals character. You know, it's, it's yeah. pretty amazing. And you could say he's going to, yeah, you could say he's going to hit 400. He's going to hit 430 home runs or, or whatever. Or he's going to be, uh, you know, the next uh, Nolan Ryan, but you're like, well, I, I can't compromise. And, and that, again, we talk about consistency or constants. Uh, if you have that as, as your blueprint to, for success, uh, you're going to be successful. And don't compromise on those things. I think a lot of people, especially at the Division One level, they want to compromise, do the quick fix. And in the long run, it's just not going to serve you. Right. you. The only thing you have is, is your character and reputation. You know, one of the things I, I've learned is that an hour, an hour of algebra and an hour of baseball, being in the zone, the process is the same. It's the same process. Now, obviously, baseball is more fun for the baseball player, possibly, than having an hour of algebra. But, you know, doing your homework requires self-discipline, just like going to the batting cage, like you talked about with these players that came in early. That was self-discipline, but it also applies to everything in their life. I know... A true champion, is, and you and I have talked about this quite a bit, is in the zone in every aspect of their life. And I know that's one of the reasons, John, uh, and I'm giving you more kudos uh, right now, that's one of the reasons why I believe you were selected as the Athletic Director of the Year, NCAA Division II, because you see the whole person, not just their athletic prowess. And I know that's a big deal. I want to shift gears with you. I met you as the AD at Loyola, and I know you have good friends still at Loyola. Uh, tell me about the, the Loyola uh, magic that's happening and, and how you feel about it. It's really infectious, uh, not only for uh, Loyola, but of all of Chicago, and Lewis is part of that. It's the David versus Goliath uh, mindset. Uh, you still have connections at Loyola. Yeah, I, I do have a number of people that uh, worked with me, and uh, I was there as athletic director, as you mentioned, and we, we did have you come in and talk to our, our coaching staff. So I think that, you know, they've uh, they've executed game plans. They've uh, stayed true to what they are from, from a basketball standpoint. And, of course, it always helps to have just a little bit of luck on your side where the ball goes in. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Sister Jane. Oh, my. It's divine yeah. intervention. It's pretty, pretty yeah. amazing. And sister, yeah, and Sister Jean, uh, obviously, I was, was there when I was there. So it's, it's some good people having some great success. And I, and I do think that the, the coaching staff and uh, what they feel is important to develop uh, young people and be true to their their mission of, of a school, but also executing the game of basketball. You look at their execution and their attention to detail. Uh, it's pretty vivid uh, as you see them go through these games. John, I, I want you to give our listeners, uh, we've got a lot of parents that are listening, 
Uh, just give a little overview shout out of Lewis University. Exactly where is it? How many students on campus? And just give a little overview about Lewis so people can uh, look up Lewis and uh, find this great institution. Tell us a little bit about yeah, Lewis. Yeah, we're Lewis University. We're located in Romeoville, Illinois, just uh, just a little bit north of Joliet, a little bit uh, south of Bolingbrook, right off uh, I-55. Uh, we have about 6,500 students. Our institution is a, a Catholic institution. It's run by the Lasallian Christian Brothers. A number of institutions in Chicago are Lasallian Christian Brothers, De La Salle High School, uh, uh, St. Patrick's High School, Montini High School are some of our Christian brother affiliates, St. Joseph High School in Westchester, so a number of schools that have had some good athletic success. Uh, we're a Division II program, so we give full scholarships for all of our intercollegiate athletics. We have 20 intercollegiate athletic teams. We have about 400 student-athletes that participate in those programs, and uh, in the 14 and 15 and 13 and 14 season, we finished back-to-back years in the top 10 of all, all athletic, uh, all Division II athletic programs in the country. So we've had some good success as of late. And as I mentioned earlier, we've had three of our teams be ranked number one in the country in the, in the last few years. Our men's volleyball was ranked number one in the country, and that includes Division One and Division Two. That's impressive. Uh, women's vo- yeah, you're, you're women's going up against was- some behemoths, some giant programs. Yeah, this this year, we've been fortunate enough in men's volleyball to beat USC, uh, USC, Penn State. We swept Ohio State. Here on campus, uh, so so we are we're, we compete at a high level. At, uh, there's not many men's volleyball programs in the country because of uh, of Title IX and the opportunities that you avail to women. But we have a number of uh, great uh, volleyball players here at Lewis, and we're able to compete against uh, Division One Division One schools uh, as it's categorized by the the uh, NCAA. Everybody competes at the same Division Two and Division One compete each, compete against each other. So uh, our league is mixed, made up of Division One and Division Two teams, and we've been very, very successful. And like I said before, our women's basketball team was uh, ranked number one in the country two years ago, and this past fall, our, our women's volleyball team was ranked number one in the country in Division Two. So we've had uh, a good deal of success. We have some great athletes. We recruit on a national basis. Just had a cross country runner in my office yesterday. And uh, I asked him where he was from. He was from uh, Valencia, California, and he went to Valencia High School in California. Oh, wow. So uh, our cross-country programs competed in the top 20 uh, nationally. So we're recruiting kids from Valencia, California. <laughs> well, you know, everything starts at the top. And kudos to you. Congratulations again. NCAA Athletic Director of the Year, Division Two, John, very impressive. I've been on your campus many, many times. I've spoken to a lot of your student athletes and you can feel the zone vibe when you go to Lewis and, and John I'm giving you a lot of credit for that thanks for being on the Jim Fannin show I really thanks. appreciate it thank you and Jim one of the cool things about the show is that we do get uh, emails from people that said hey found you guys went back and listened we, we actually just got an email last week that said you know, I'm, I'm back in August <laughs> listen to the Jim Fannin show this really does build on itself. We encourage you to check out all the episodes. But I'm going to give a special shout out to that interview. Just book that, bookmark that in your head. And if you're a leader, if you're a manager, somebody who you know does hiring, makes decisions about teams, uh, a coach, whatever, go back and listen to that next time you get tempted to, to cut corners or say, okay, well, we just got to do something right now because they really built off of values first. They did, and uh, they're looking for character, 
They're looking for solid mindsets, uh, and um, the success is there. So the proof is in the pudding. When we go ahead and hop into another call here, really fascinating to have both sides of an Elite Eight game. Uh, Coach Bruce Weber, you for, you guys first met actually at the University of Illinois. We did. Correct. We uh, did. Kansas State uh, has gone on to, to build a really strong program there. Um, and so, you know, you don't win the NCAA ter- uh, championship every time as a coach. Sometimes you go back and rebuild and he's got a fantastic well, Sometimes situation. you never win it. I think it's one of the toughest things to win because, as Dr. Planick said, it, it could come down to one three-pointer, a miss or a make. And uh, if you look at every one of those games in the NCAA, there were only a few blowouts, and there were some. But, well, there were so many amazing games that came down to the last few seconds. So uh, it, it's not easy getting through to the last team standing let's go ahead and welcome our friend bruce weber welcome back to the jim fanna show yeah coach right off the bat what an amazing season you had it was a tough loss for you i know that and uh losing's not fun i think you uh if you had had another minute uh, your swarming defense, your trapping defense, I, I really believe would have prevailed. Uh, and uh, it, it was it was interesting to watch that game. Uh, not not the best start. Of course, Loyola, you got to give them kudos. They were hitting everything they threw up. I think they shot 60-some percent in the first half. But, Coach, I, I want to talk about the individuals on your team. I know you're proud of them. I know you're going to have a little exit interview. Uh, but you've got seven. You, you had an amazing season, 25 wins. You've got seven of your top scorers coming back next year. Um, and you made this run to the final eight with one of your top players only played eight minutes in the entire tournament. Uh, and, and when you really boil that down, what a great job uh, to be a top 10 team finishing this season. Tell me about the individual character on your team because they had no quit in them. Tell me about your team. Yeah, I think that was the best part of our, our team. Uh, you know, the first, I think, leadership was, was the, you know, the, one of the best I've ever been around. Uh, Barry Brown kind of took the team under his belt uh, right from the get-go last spring when we came back uh, with our spring workouts. Uh, we had a, a walk-on senior this year, Mason Schoen, real high-quality young man, wants to coach. and. I just said, use this, this opportunity as an internship to coach and be a, a leader, uh, you know, come every day to practice, learn the game. And he did a great job. And then slowly but surely, uh, Dean Wade, who was the player that sat out for us, our best player, um, he started becoming a little more vocal and, and a good team guy. And so I think the leadership was there, uh, high-quality character kids. Uh, that really enjoyed each other, and 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 that's why we probably um, surprised people. We, you know, I guess you could say we overachieved. Um, you know, we didn't think so in the locker room, but I, you know, from the outside looking in, I'm sure everybody thought that, and I think it had a lot to, you know, a lot to do with that that character, that uh, leadership. Uh, you know, makes a big difference, and it makes it easy, a lot easier on the coaches. Well, I think one of the things, Bruce, is that you allowed 
the character of the team. You allowed this to happen. You allowed the team players to become leaders. A lot of coaches don't allow that. They want everything to be run through them. And and I know you've deferred to your players so many times. What in a great season like this, with this many wins, what was the turning point in the season prior to getting to the NCAA? Because there was a stretch where, you know, the fans and uh, the so-called experts were like, you know, this this club's not even going to get to the NCAA. What was the turning point? Well, I think we it was actually in early January when uh, we lost our point guard, Kamal Stokes, broke his foot. And, um, I, you know, as a coach, our staff, I mean, we were just, you know, totally – heartbroken you know you lose your starting point guard he was our uh, leading scorer at the time and, and our leading assist second leading scorer and so we thought oh we're we're in trouble we're dead we're in the toughest league um in the country and um you know we thought we were in trouble but barry brown we landed we came back from texas tech we landed um and he he texts all the coaches he said we need to have practice tomorrow and and we said, we can't have practice, Barry. We, we got to give you the day off, NCA rules. And he said, Coach, we're having practice, you know, even if it's us running it. And him and Mason Shaw, and I mentioned, uh, you know, those two kind of, you know, ran a practice on their own. They watched film. Wow. Did a workout. Got a, got a, a good mindset going. And uh, they just said, Coach, we're not going to let, we're not going to let this team fail. And, and uh, they took it upon themselves we were i think we ran off four in a row um after that and uh you know got some confidence some guys stepped up uh freshman point guard cartier jara didn't uh you know didn't you know he um you know he hadn't played he had played a little bit but all of a sudden you're a starter in the, in the toughest conference in the country and he stepped up so it seemed like every time we had adversity um, somebody else got an opportunity and make the most of it. And, and uh, you know, just uh, the group kept believing and kept fighting. I, I know that's one of the hallmarks that have made you a great coach is that when you recruit, you you look at character uh, just as much as athletic talent. I mean, obviously, you know, you want athletic talent and be able to be a ball player, but uh, you do look at character. That's a big deal. And your team definitely as character. And as I've said to a lot of parents, acorns don't fall far from the tree. So, you know, this team's character really uh, is a reflection of, of you and what, what your coaching staff has done. Going forward, how do you look at next season? And it may be too early. I know you're still, you know, yeah. recovering from this year. When do you start looking at next year? Are you going to take a break? You're going to uh, turn your brain off and get some R&R? Uh, when, when do you start really looking for next season? Well, we met, we got back Sunday and then we had a team meeting, just kind of recap of the season and, and also talked about, you know, things we were, we did well and things we didn't do well and, you know, what we need to focus on. And then we had individual meetings with all the players, um, you know, just took time to reflect and where they're going, talk about academics, the spring, all that type stuff. And, you know, but for us, uh, we're on the road recruiting today. Um, you know, we got the final four. We have our national coaches convention uh, that will be part of, uh, you know, this, this weekend and go to some of the meetings there. And 
and then come back and, and we give them two weeks off just so they can, you know, their body's got to recover. We're hoping that they start creeping back in the gym a little earlier than that. But, you know, we, we try to, they need a break. I mean, it's been a long season. It's a long grind. Um, and, and we, uh, you know, we, it's, it's, and then in the spring, we'll, we'll go at it for three weeks. Uh, we only have a three week window with the NCAA rules and we'll get back at the weights and, and individual improvement and they get a little break in May and then they come back and we got an eight week summer stretch where they're in classes and, and get some time to work out. And, and that's the time they really come together as a team because it's, we can be with them a little bit, two hours a week, uh, basketball wise, but right. it's when they, that's when the leadership and the, them getting together and, and learning about each other and helping themselves grow as individuals. That's, that's probably the most important time. I think, um, you know, is that summertime. That's when you become a player when the coaches aren't there every are, day. Are you going to lose anyone to the draft? I don't think so. Uh, Dean Wade obviously had a, probably has a chance to get drafted. Um, he, you know, with his foot injury, uh, we probably got to shut him down for a while. So, um, I think it might hurt his opportunities to go and work out with some teams. And, um, you know, I would think he'd end up coming back. But, uh, you know, Barry Brown made had a great year. He may put his uh, name in just to kind of get some exposure and right. and see what's out there. But uh, like a lot of kids do, uh, and, and, you know, and that's fine. You want them to have dreams and goals. and But as long as they, you know, do things the right way and communicate with us and, uh, know all the rules and stuff so they don't put themselves in a bind. And, and who do you have coming in uh, as a freshman? We have one young man coming in. Uh, basically, the rest of the team is back. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a guard, uh, a tough, hard-nosed guard from St. Louis area. Um, you know, and we're excited about him. And, um, you know, we the biggest thing with us, we, we got to stay uh, very humble. Uh, we got to stay very hungry. Um, you know, and, and if, and if that continues through the summer, we'll, we'll make the improvement that we need to take another step. Well, I, I, I know this is going to leave Kansas state fans, your team hungry for more because you definitely showed the country, uh, the grit of your team and, uh, there's no, no quit, uh, in, in this Kansas state team and they're all coming back. That's, that's exciting. Hey, Coach, you're one of our favorites on the show. You know that. And I wish you the best. Uh, one last thing. At some point, Coach, take a break. You need some relaxation and oh. enjoyment. You got you got to yeah. turn your brain off at some point to replenish. Yeah, I, 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 last night, I uh, tried to go to I went to sleep a decent time, midnight or something for me. But 2 o'clock, woke up, and for the next three hours, that brain was going so fast, I couldn't <laughs> stop. And I... I thought the season's over. I don't need this, but uh, lots, lots to think about. We'll take a break, but we got a crazy schedule with our family. My daughter has twins on the way, and my other daughter's oh getting my. married, and we have a five-month-old grandson. So we'll we'll be we'll be busy here. Uh, we, we got something in common. We'll get away from it. Yeah, I've got a five-year-old so. grandson. We got something in common. Hey, coach. What a great season. My my hat is off to you. I'm really proud of what you've done. And thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. You know, Seth, uh, Coach Weber just talked 
in congruency with uh, Dr. John Planning. That was really fascinating. It really was. And I, I'm not sure they know each other. I don't think that they They might, but I, I don't think that they do. I know both of them pretty well. But uh, talk about character. Uh, I, I really like how his program uh, is run. And the turning point was his team having its own leadership. You know, your team's only as good as what they think when you're not there, and they took it upon themselves after this devastating loss to have their own practice, no coaches, none, just by themselves. And that's really how great teams bond together. What a great year, Kansas State. And I've got to give a shout-out right now just to the theme that when you invest in your team, when you invest in your leaders, you're going to see tremendous results. And normally, Jim Fannin has had a waiting list for, uh, it's a pretty long waiting list. So up until 2018, you haven't had a chance uh, probably to, to ever be coached by Jim. I mean, obviously, I know we got some former and current professional athletes listening and stuff, but the odds are you never would have had a chance to do that. But now you can sign up for a one-hour coaching session that can totally change the game for you and your team, get everybody into the zone together, and you, you can do like a conference call and put everybody on this call for the hour, right? Uh, it's possible, absolutely. And, and the one, one thing I'm excited about, you know, I've, a lot of people have asked me, can you just do an hour? You know, that's, that's the, all I can afford time-wise. That's all I can afford maybe price-wise. Uh, we can get a lot done in an hour. Uh, all you need to do is go to jimfannon.com right on the homepage. There's a big hourglass uh, if you'll scroll down from the top of the page and um, click on, there's my schedule. Click on the schedule. You can put it on a credit card and um, I'll get a notice and I will call you. You can put also comments of what I'm to expect. And uh, our goal is to make one plus one equal three or more. So you and I on the call will equal more than not being on the call. So I'm looking forward to helping people get an edge. And there's no subject off limits. It's very confidential. Uh, we're not going to broadcast that, obviously, on the show. It'll ne- never even be mentioned on the show. So uh, if you're looking for a confidential one-on-one, I-, I would love to help you reach that next level of success that you're chasing. Once again, jimfannon.com, F-A-N-N-I-N. And go down to the section that says "Let Jim Change Your Life" and uh, click on that one hour section, uh, one hour session to see a schedule. Ready for a little mailbag action? I am. Let's do it. What's in the mailbag, Seth? Hey, Jim, got a blueprint. I'm working on it. It doesn't look exactly like I thought it would at the beginning of the year. How do I best review and reset at the end of this first quarter? I think the key to the blueprint, first of all. The blueprint is not just the framework of getting your life arenas organized. And every one of your life arenas, like your personal finance, that's one arena. But every one of them need visions, corresponding goals, and then corresponding tasks. Also, in each arena are all of your thoughts, all of your feelings regarding that particular arena. Personal finance, relationship, your business. You're more than a business person. You're more than an athlete. You're a son or a daughter. So I recommend that once a week you get into your helicopter, psychological helicopter, and you get up above your life on a sheet of paper, look at your life arenas, 
They contain all your thoughts. And once a week, you can use that as a vision board, if you will, to see what you want and picture it completed, the vision, the goals, the task. But it's also a a thought manager. You can also see, well, I've got some negative thoughts here or my optimism is not as high. We'll do that in our next segment of the Zone Cafe. But once a week, I do it every Friday. Some of my clients do it on Saturday. Some do it on Sunday. You choose what it is, but I would be repetitive. I would make this a constant. Get above your life. Look upon it objectively with non-emotion and play a little mental chess on you being your genuine, authentic best self. And if you're brand new to the score success system, I do have to mention Lake Fannin right behind the studio here. That's that's kind of Jim's little uh, little happy place. You actually you do get physically sometimes even away from everything. And this is something whenever you're going to do it, you can't do it in front of the TV or right before the airlines. You know the the plane's boarding and you're scratching something out. You got to have some mental space to go to thirty five thousand feet. Well, you do, and uh, I do it once a week. I get alone. I, I clear my mind. I reboot my mind first. Just completely clear it. And then I kind of hover above my uh, life, and I peek into each of these arenas. And I, I liken these life arenas to reality TV shows. Being a real, reality TV show is can be pretty chaotic. Now think about it. You may have nine reality TV shows that you're in simultaneously. Let's walk through them real quick. You have your own self-arena. That's got nothing to do with anybody but you. It's your spirituality. It's your hygiene, whether you bathe or not, uh, whether you brush your teeth or not. But it's also your your food intake. It's what you eat. It's how much sleep. And again, it's just you. And you need to really manage that. No one else is going to do it for you. Then you have a relationship arena. That's not easy. Two people. Shared vision, hopefully, that's what brought you together. Look inside that reality show and see if you still have shared vision. And if you don't, well, you're on the wrong way uh, street uh, going to a place you don't want to go. That's really a seed of discontent that could lead to something horrible like a divorce. And that's why I think there's so many divorces in our country. Uh, And then the other people that didn't get divorced may not like each other. Shared vision brought you together. The lack of shared vision will tear you apart. But that's a reality show. Then you've got parenting. That's not easy. And if you've got teenagers, I'll pray for you. I, now, I, <laughs> I, I, I've had two teenagers. My uh, uh, youngest uh, turned 20, so I don't have any teenagers in the house anymore. That's a good thing. But look inside that arena. You've got your kids' thoughts. Your significant other thoughts, of course, if you're a single parent, you only have your thoughts. Um, Use this as a thought manager. Personal finance, that's got its, you may have a financial advisor, you may have an insurance guy, you may have an accountant. Those thoughts are all in there, but you're you're controlling the ship and where it's going to sail and whether you're going to have financial prosperity or not. What's your vision? What are your goals? And what are your daily tasks? Are you saving money? Are you overspending? That's a separate reality show that a lot of us kind of put off to the side until there's a crisis and we don't have any cash. 
but we always, most of us don't have a blueprint for that. So inside your overarching blueprint, uh, Seth, are individual micro blueprints. And of course, inside those, uh, you have your attitude, which is self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. Are you in the zone in your personal finance? Are you in the zone or not as a friend? Are you in the zone as being a son or a daughter? So once a week, go to higher ground, get up above it, look at your life arenas. And, of course, if you read the uh, blueprint, you're going to get this outline, and you're going to also have concrete tools and techniques on how to manifest that blueprint. But it's like anything else. You got to spend a little bit of time at it. Now, here's the question I, I want to ask everyone listening. Would you invest no more than 3% of your waking hours to be your genuine, authentic, best self? Would you invest no more than 3% of your waking hours? And to put that in perspective, Seth, if you sleep eight hours a night, you're awake 112 hours a week. That investment is less than three hours. Three hours, maybe maybe a little bit more, not much. And the investment is 90 seconds here, 90 seconds there. But this once a week going to higher ground, that needs to be a constant in your life. Uh, we got April coming up. Is it the best April you can be? I hope so. But in every arena of your life. Got the second quarter coming up. Do you have a plan? Do you have the goals that are synchronized in your overarching blueprint and uh, get busy. Doesn't take a lot of time, but you need to be consistent. And of course, we always go out by giving you what you need. Every single peak performer that Jim has ever coached that you've seen do great things has really taken care of their score system. S C O R E. And we're going to have you pull up to the drive through at the zone cafe right now and order what you need right now to reach peak performance. Oh, I'm cooking. I'm cooking up some self-discipline, some concentration, some optimism, some relaxation, some enjoyment. So we've got uh, all of these. So right now, what do you need? Pick one area of your life, or you could pick everything about your life. Do you need self-discipline? Do you need the willingness and the commitment to stay with these tasks that take you to a goal that take you to that vision, that point in the future where you're successful. Now, if you need self-discipline right now, take a big bag of it that Seth's going to put out the window and drive away. That may be the missing link in your overarching attitude. Remember, you're only as good as the weakest link in your score level. But maybe, maybe you got too much going on. I mean, I, I know a lot of people go, you know, I'm a great multitasker. No, you're not. No, you're, <laughs> you're a multitasker. Everybody else in your life knows you're not as well. Yeah, just so you know. I, I mean, you might be better than someone else, but a great multitasker. I, I think so many achievers have too many balls in the air trying to do too much. Where that comes from could be how you were brought up. I, I get that. You know, growing up poor, I wanted to do it all. And I wanted to do it all right now. And I realized, young, thank goodness in my life, I got too many balls in the air. My focus is going to be really dispersed unevenly. But when you have one thing to think about, 
maybe something that wakes you up in the morning, puts you to sleep at night. And maybe that's one arena that really is a linchpin for everything in your life. Less is more. Because the less goals that you have, and you need goals, don't get me wrong, but the less you have, the more you can focus all of your energy. So if you need concentration right now, well, we've got a plate full of concentration, Seth. Bag that thing up, put it in the bag, and drive away with some concentration. Be aware of what you need. Be aware of the missing link in your overarching attitude. We call it score. But maybe, maybe you got a seed of doubt. Maybe you're second-guessing yourself. Maybe. Maybe you've lost a little confidence. Maybe you've got some self-esteem challenges where that's what you think other people think about you. Add an athlete just the other day. Have a horrible performance. Professional athlete. It all boiled down to one thing. Three prominent people showed up, and he wanted to show them how awesome he was. So he totally got out of his standard, got out of his routines. He cared more about what they thought than doing the basics. And after a 30-minute conversation, it was revealed what his challenge was. He just needs optimism about what he can control, what he can do, and don't be concerned about other people looking in. Yeah, they're there, especially if you're a pro athlete. You may have 40,000 people there watching your performance, but you got to be in the moment. Concentration uh, is a part of that, but optimism, you got to believe, you got to expect, and you got to know that the routines you have are leading you to that vision. So if you need a big shot of optimism, drive away with that now. And one more tip on optimism sometimes, sometimes you got to sell you on the awesomeness of you. So if you need that optimism, think about doing a little one minute commercial on the awesomeness of you. Uh, get alone, state it out loud, I am, state your name, and then talk about everything you do really, really well. Dealing from strength uh, will help you reconnect with that high optimism level needed to reach your dreams and goals. But maybe, Seth, maybe you've been trying too hard. Maybe you've been getting in your own way. Maybe you've been choking a little bit. Maybe you've got some fear. Oh, my goodness. What if? Shoulda, coulda, woulda. And all those things come into my mind. Maybe you've got some worry. Maybe you're thinking about everything that happened in the past. Now you put your imagination and thrown it into the future. You're low on relaxation. And if that's the case, you're low on serotonin. Seth, have we got a big, big gulp of relaxation back here? We can do, yes, we can serve that up for Let, you. Let's fill. Let's get a liter of relaxation because maybe all you need to do is breathe. Maybe you're approaching twenty breaths a minute as opposed to the champion six to eight breaths a minute. Maybe you need to chill. Maybe you need to turn your brain off. Maybe you need to take a vacation. Maybe you need to take a day off. Maybe you need to have a silent day which I do back here by Lake Fannin. I'll have one silent day every month. My clients don't know it. I text them that day. I don't talk to them. And uh, sometimes you just got to turn your brain off. So if you need relaxation, 
take a deep breath because it's coming right into the window of your pull-up car here. But maybe, maybe, Seth, you need the Happy Meal. You know, I, I, I had another athlete this morning talk about his favorite subject, his sport. And he realized after I made him aware, you're not talking like you love to do this. Where's the love of the challenge? You got to love going through obstacles. You got to love going around obstacles. You got to love going over obstacles. You got to love the challenge. And the higher that climb, because you chose something that was lofty, maybe it's a stretch for you, maybe it's something you've never done in your life, you got to love the challenge. And if you have abnormal dreams, you got to think in an abnormal way, but you better have a smile on your face. You've got to enjoy the process. You've got to love what you do and do what you love and put a little bounce in your step in practice, in meetings, and just going through life in general. So if you're void of a few smiles, void of some positive energy, you're probably depleted in some dopamine, and you can put a smile on your face. Get that happy meal, Seth. Bring that happy meal. If that's what you need, drive off with a smile on your face. And so, Jim, you've got quite the week coming up. I want to know, what are you ordering? Concentration. I have a lot going on. I've got a big seminar. I'm going to be in Salt Lake City uh, coming up. I've got a full-day, six-hour seminar in Salt Lake City. Uh, I've got the book tour that I'm on. I've got a lot happening, but I'm going to focus. I'm going to narrow my focus, and I'm also going to use one of my favorite words, no. Hey, Jim, can you go to dinner? No. Hey, Jim, have you thought of it? No. No is going to be the new yes. I'm going to shed myself of too many things to do, and I'm going to get back and focusing like a cheetah that hasn't eaten in two weeks, and I'm going to narrow in on, on what I need to do this week. And I'm going to select uh, concentration off the menu as well, because just if I can pull something that you've talked about before, if your optimism, relaxation, enjoyment are really high, maybe just, just kind of glance over and make sure that that self-discipline and concentration are in good shape. And, and conversely, if you're really, really concentrated, you've got a lot of self-discipline, maybe glance over and make sure the other three elements are, are high. Yeah, you know, think of the word score right now in your mind, especially if you're driving a car. And if you've got a sheet of paper, just write the word down on a sheet of paper, S-C-O-R-E. If you look at the S and C, that's the purposeful part. That's where the blueprint really kicks in. And that's why it's first. You need a blueprint. Nothing, Seth, happens great. Nothing without a blueprint, self-discipline, concentration. You need to know, what do I need to concentrate on? But on the other side, relaxation and enjoyment, that's got to balance it. On the left side, you could have too much cortisol. Now now you're going to be freaked out. Uh, You're going to be drained of energy. You're going to get uptight. You're going to have some negative stress, and it could easily back up like a commode. And that's not a positive thing. So you may need some relaxation. You may need some enjoyment. And again, if you think of the word score and you look at the word score on a sheet of paper, what's in the middle? At the heart, at the soul of the word and the whole score system, literally, figuratively, optimism. That's your belief system that holds everything together. That's the glue that holds you together. Go to the Zone Cafe right now. 
but you can go to the Zone Cafe anytime you want. Uh, the people that I coach, the Zoniacs that uh, use the score system to attract that zone in every arena of their lives, uh, they know that uh, that score check can be done anytime before any performance, after a performance to evaluate. And if you notice, Bruce Weber and Dr. Planning, they both do exit surveys. They both do evaluations. And I'm sure they're evaluating the score level, the attitude of the individual they're doing that for. And of course, if you don't have the very first part of the score system, the self-discipline, the blueprint, Jim's new book is available right now. Your local bookstore, Amazon.com, JimFannon.com, F-A-N-N-I-N. You can search for Jim Fannin, The Blueprint. We'll see you back here during the first week of the best quarter of your life as we get into April and as we always say, going out. Be in the zone, everybody. It's the only place to be. Be in the zone. This is a Crush Performance Quick Fix on Radio Influence. It was my mother and two little hockey players that I wound up standing behind at a little convenience store one day. They were all dressed up in their hockey equipment, and when they turned around to leave as I was standing behind them, one of them was holding a giant leader sport drink and a chocolate bar, and the other little player was holding a large can of energy drink and a bag of chips. And I had to stop these two young players. They might have been 9, 10 years of age, little heavier set boys, and I said, boys, do your parents know what you're buying here? And they're looking at me like stranger danger and the attendant behind the counter the cashier behind the counter is looking at me like hey dude what's up and I was just taking back people because you know I know people think the energy drinks give you energy and the sport drinks are good for you but we had two little 10 year old guys with their hockey equipment heading off to practice or a game doing the absolute worst thing they could possibly be doing not just for their performance in their game and their practice but for their health and I just couldn't take it anymore and we started the war on sugar Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.